Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, this is John Anderson. You're listening to Pantheon Podcast. Yo! History in five songs. With host Martin Popoff. A production of Pantheon Podcasts. Let's rock out with Martin. Yes, indeed. Martin Popoff back again for another episode of History in Five Songs with Martin Popoff brought to you by the good folks at Pantheon. We are part of the vast and always expanding uh, Pantheon podcast network. We are available on Spotify, iTunes, and over 40 other podcast platforms. All right. This is episode 100. A bit of a milestone, I guess. We're calling this one Answering Your Questions. Um, You know, uh, it was brought up on the Facebook page what would be kind of a special thing to do for this episode, and this is what you guys came up with. Um, And uh, and there were a bunch of cool questions. This was about three weeks ago. And uh, so I asked again, are you sure? Do you want to do this? And a bunch more questions came in. So so what we're going to do here is um, we're still going to do the the regular five songs and it's going to be on a topic, which I'll, which I'll you know, uh, point out in a second. But what I've done is I've cut and pasted um, a whole bunch of those questions uh, sprinkled in amongst the, uh, the five and we're going to knock down a bunch of these questions uh, as we go. Uh, so here we go. Uh, answering your questions. Um, so the first track, well, okay, so the theme for the music will be uh, a lot of you asked um, my top five albums of all time and then that got reinforced sort of thing but also there was a bit of a twist put on it at some point um, what are your top five albums through the decades and that's something I've never never done before uh, so I thought that would be kind of a cool exercise let's do that because you know I, I do worry that I've talked about the same things over and over across you know being on Pete's show Sea of Tranquility we've got the Contrarians of course uh, so our own video show and then you know interviews on other shows and whatnot so um just to just to put a little bit of a twist on it let's do this so so let's start with the 70s um uh take a listen to this this is black sabbath with the thrill of it all Inclination of direction Was the turn and twist of grip Will the chance 
All right, so that's from Sabotage. Uh, came out July 28th, 1975. Uh, and this this answers the other question as well. Paul Roberts uh, wrote in, uh, top five albums of all time. Um, well, Sabotage is probably the one album that I mentioned the most, uh, you know, when the mood strikes me as my favorite album of all time. You know, I always joke that it took Led Zeppelin two records to do a Sabotage. Um, you know, what Black Sabbath, uh, who were, you know, apparently the inferior band to Led Zeppelin, uh, managed to do uh, in in one record in the same year, and that of course is Sabotage versus Physical Graffiti. I love Physical Graffiti. I often call that my favorite album of all time as well. Um, I've talked about Queen One, but then we had a Contrarians episode, and I said my favorite Queen album is Jazz, and that's happened for a couple of these. So I I, I wonder that's almost a whole another debate. Can you have can you have a favorite album by a band that is not your favorite album? Uh, of all time if it's uh you know if you know higher in that list kind of thing interesting question um but yes tobias lundqvist and joe lutz asked this one too the top five albums of all time so again we're, we're going to do a little a little twist on it. it's going to be the top five through the decades but no i love i love sabotage start to finish it's heavy it's proggy it's you know as as many people have said it's probably ozzy's best vocal performance the guitars are crushing uh it's really really dark and moody there's a lots of weird creepy ear candy on it including blow on the jug at the end of uh the it, right um so yeah an amazing record start to finish it's one you know i i never i i even am i going insane and supers are uh you know that that i might have in the past over the years been the skip over tracks they aren't even skip over tracks anymore so there's really nothing i would skip over on it uh at, at this point all right so um so as i said let's go through a few of these questions um you always mention joe beck says you always mention your top albums but i get confused is it sabotage physical graffiti the damned top five list would be great well the problem joe uh, as i say is uh there's just so many albums in the world how do you pick i you know uh well i'll just for the record say a few things that i've mentioned over the years as well um you know i've always mentioned queen one i've even mentioned things like the dictators blood brothers and gillen mr universe um in the non-metal world uh i've often mentioned things like uh water boys this is the sea um uh manic street preachers everything must go uh i don't know if i'd put a put a full pantera album in here at this point clutch blast tyrant um just to jump all over the place uh you know the damned i've mentioned is one of my favorite bands of all time i play the damned all the time um but uh boy what else is in there um because i i don't want to give it away in terms of uh yeah so robert plant uh principle of moments um so i'm not playing that here today um but uh yeah, many many records that uh, that that one could put in there. Uh, you know, I, I I'm telling you some of the ones that are a little non-metalish just because it's it's a little different. Rise and Shine by the Bears, sticking with Adrian Ballou, Twang Bar King, Peter Gabriel, the Face Melt cover, uh, Genesis Abacab. There's just so many uh, across so many different genres. You know, all my favorite metal ones and. I, God, new wave of British heavy metal. We've got Iron Maiden, Killers, and Angel Witch, and the Savage, Loose and Lethal, and more Blood and Thunder, and Quartz, Stand Up and Fight. So there's, you know, there's there's many many all over the place. Um, but uh, Clash, London Calling. But to but to really you know really net it out, I think the two that I mention 
uh, most often are sabotage and physical graffiti. All right. Mark DeSuda says, are you revising the top 500 metal songs and albums books for future release? If so, for when? Thanks. So, Mark, what I did do is um, I've often thought I would do that. Um, but then what I ended up doing is I took the songs one and updated the poll, got a new got a new sort of results thing and put out uh, Riff Raff, the top 250 heavy metal songs of the 70s and uh, and Aces High, the top 250 heavy metal songs of the 80s. And I've already taken the poll and was ready to go with the 90s one, but neither of those sold particularly well. Um, Riff Raff is sold out. I mean, it is all gone now. Um, but I and I still have some of the aces high. So, you know, publishers have always told me, um, you know, do books on one band at a time. The other ones don't sell that well. And that always proves to be true. Yet I keep doing it. Um, you know, at this point, um, because of how slow those two books sold, I'm really kind of gun shy about even doing the 90s one. So so I may not uh, get around to doing the 90s one. Uh, albums would be kind of cool to do as well. Um, you know, along this line, Mark, you know, I have thought, um, I'd like to do one of these on punk and one of these on prog just to do something totally different rather than a straight update. So there you go. Um, now, Matt Stoyanoff asked top five albums you've outgrown. That is a really interesting question. I'm only going to answer that with a band uh, because this is one that that really concerns me. And I don't know why this happened, but Slayer. For some reason, I just can't get behind Slayer anymore. The whole the whole image and the lyrics and uh, the way people react to Slayer. I don't know. It's really odd. Um, you know, I, I go to... For, here's a good example. So, so I go see Slayer, Death Angel, and Anthrax. Uh, you know, a, a show uh, here in Toronto down at uh, the docks or whatever they're calling it these days. Um, and um, I realized that I could listen to Death Angel for the rest of my years. I could listen to Anthrax for the rest of my years. I find both of those bands pretty mature, especially Anthrax. Anthrax and Overkill are probably the two thrash bands I could see. Just they just they just feel like they've transitioned into adulthood, and I'm on the same trip with them forever as long as they make music. The past, the present, the '80s, the '90s, the 2000s, whatever. Um, it it feels it feels like with Anthrax and Overkill, I'm completely on board, and I'll be on board until we all die, kind of thing. Slayer has just fallen by the wayside. I just can't get behind Slayer anymore. I mean, literally, it is that word you use there, Matt. Outgrown. I just feel like I've outgrown Slayer. I don't, I don't know what the problem is. Okay. Um, Kevin Latham writes, uh, instead of songs, what top five books of yours did you feel the most important to write? I would say uh, the ones I enjoyed the most would be uh, Who Invented Heavy Metal? That thing still continues to blow my mind. It's 120,000 words of analysis uh, that end in 1971. Uh, it's all like oral history with a lot of description and everything but the kitchen sink to answer that question. Who invented heavy metal is in that book, I believe. Um, and I also loved doing that, um, the clash, all the albums, all the songs and the Led Zeppelin, all the albums, all the songs to be able to go through those catalogs and write about every single song. That was pretty incredible as well. Uh, in terms of the band biographies, the, you know, Blue Oyster Cult are so interesting. So that one was was really cool to do. Um, boy, what else? I, let's leave it at that. I mean, I, I think those are the ones. Um, OK, Chris Jackson writes, I've noticed 
You write and talk a lot about production jobs on albums, but not really compression and mastering that makes everything loud and squash dynamics range, Death Magnetic being a notorious example. Do you care much about this, or are you more in the mindset that, hey, it's heavy metal, it's supposed to be loud? Okay, so I've often, these debates flare up every once in a while, and a lot of smart people talk about it, and I realize that I pretty much don't notice it. It doesn't leap out of the speakers at me as something that bothers me until somebody points it out. And then it's like a pink elephant. You can't unsee it. Um, and then I understand what you're talking about. I, I am a, I am a person who really gets annoyed at bad production. Uh, and, uh, and, and many, many albums to me are quite unlistenable because of the, the distraction of the production and, and just me not liking the tones of it. And, you know, obviously when you make a record and you have those same tones right through it, it can be ruined for me. Um, but that's not really ever happened to me with this more oblique, obscure idea of compression in mastering. Um, I don't, I don't hear that as obviously as I hear productions that I don't like. So count me in the camp of not, you know, you know, averagely, con you know, averagely concerned about it uh, and maybe more concerned than the, you know, the, the average casual music listener, but not, it, it's not something I rant and rave over. I don't know. I just, I just don't hear it. It doesn't leap out at me uh, as, as much as it does some other people. All right, let's, uh, let's move on to another song and then we'll do some more questions. Uh, so this is, <laughs> this is one of my favorite albums of the eighties. Um, take a listen to this. This is the Chameleons UK or just the chameleons with Swamp Thing. All right, I had to play this. Um, September 1st, 1986. So so what you're going to get with the rest of these entries, uh, simply because I thought, you know, it's a little, little, um, you know, uh, it, it's hard to pick your favorite albums of all time. Um, there are so many and for so many different reasons and it changes. So what I did is I let it, I left it to the math. And what I mean by that is uh, this Chameleons album, Strange Times, um, is a record that I just play over and over again, many times a year, never gets old. Uh, it just takes you to a whole different world. It's a murky, strange world. They're a Manchester band. They wrote this album in a house in Wales, and then they went to London and recorded it. Very moody and, and, uh, and, um, murky and dark and so English just love it to death. Uh, I play it all the time. So what I did is, is for, for, you know, Essentially, the rest of these uh, by decade, uh, these are just records I play over and over again, and I've I've left it up to that external objective measure of uh, I guess I might like I must like these albums because I can't stop playing them. Um, so obviously, there's a million things I could have picked in the '80s. Um, but uh, you know, one other thing I want to say about the Chameleons is I even you know yeah well here here's a case in point I checked this yesterday so I I thought oh let's play some of the other Chameleons again because people always mention. Um, the the uh the first album script uh script of the bridge and uh what does uh anything to do with anything basically whatever the other one is called the two before this album strange times 
people swear up and down that they are masterpieces and even better than Strange Times or or at least one of them is or whatever, blah, blah, blah. But case in point, as we just talked about with production, um, there's there's this snare sound on there that is so that are so wet and processed that I can't listen to them. And the rest of the albums are quite noisy as well. Uh, so I, I the production on both of the first two, unfortunately, pretty much rule them out. And I think that's that's okay. Uh, I will be that Chameleons fan that that really... And then they reformed later and they did some good stuff too. Leader of the band is Mark Burgess. Amazing guy. Um, but this record uh, just stands out head and shoulders as a complete masterpiece start to finish of... Uh, what would you call it? Uh, Post-punk. It's a little bit Teardrop Explodes, Echo and the Bunnymen, I suppose. A little bit Cure. Uh, but it's guitar, bass, and drums, essentially. Um, you know, some some weird moody synth as well, too. But uh, a little bit like Magazine, I suppose, in distribution, uh, uh, Disposition. Um, so there you go. I, I just I wanted to put that in there as something to check out. And like I say, uh, by the times uh, uh, you know, I play it, um, love it. Love it to death. Uh, check out that band, but maybe more so just check out that album. All right. Uh, Bruce Campbell writes, uh, your favorite song or album from each of the last five decades. So that's what we're doing. Yeah, song would have been pretty impossible. Jeremy French writes, the five albums that influenced you the most. You know, I've been asked that before and I almost feel like uh, influence me just seems like an uncomfortable egotistical thing to ask of me because you know i i understand asking a rock star who makes records like what are albums that influence me that makes sense but to me asking me uh, albums that influence me seems a little like um you know i i don't you know influence me i i didn't start writing even about music until i was 30 right so um so did anything even influence me, right? So that's that's one other way of looking at it. But but no, it's like it's like influenced me. I, I just I haven't made any art other than other than actually painting and drawing, which is what I really want to do. Um, you know, that that I could talk about who influenced me, right? But music that influenced me just seems kind of weird. So um there you go. Um David Gallagher writes, what are albums you like that would surprise people giving you love heavy, you love metal, you love speed, not, not necessarily guilty pleasures, but records you love that would surprise your audience? So so again, um, I, I think a good answer to that would be uh, go back to the... Um, the weird, the weird folk episode. I can't remember what I called it, and I played this really creepy, quiet male-female dual folky stuff. Uh, so there's a great example right there. Um, you know, my favorite era, the Grateful Dead, is the Donna era. I think I talk about that in that episode. Uh, but yeah, that episode is a is a real wingnut of an episode. It takes you off into a really strange place. So there, there's not a lot really. Um, you know, I as I, that would surprise people because I I play a lot of pretty weird stuff i i love punk and post-punk and prog um i love some some you know more easy listening yacht rock stuff but not really a lot of it i mean there's a good example i mean a lot of metal heads will will totally um you know profess their love for uh you know, not so much ABBA, but let's say, uh, let's say Billy Joel or uh, Doobie Brothers with Michael McDonald, like, like pretty, very, very mellow stuff. Eagles, um, that that would surprise uh, because I actually don't like a lot of that stuff. So I'm I'm actually pretty exempt from a lot of that. But um, you'd be surprised probably how deep I go into post punk and original punk. 
uh, and Prague, but but really kind of only early Prague in a big way. Um, and yeah, some folky stuff. You know, I, I had my whole Neil Young phase at one point. Um, I remember a quick journey for phase, but I'm not really a journey guy. Um, so yeah, I would, I would say a lot of, a lot of post-punk, um, you know, all that Minneapolis stuff. I love grunge. Uh, I'm, I'm not a grunge hater. I know a lot of metalheads are grunge haters, but I ate up all of that stuff, loved it all. Um, okay. So moving on, uh, let's see. Blaze Barshaw asks your albums or bands that have dropped or risen in your humble opinion in your personal rating system over time. I'm actually doing this live, so I, I haven't re I haven't considered any of these. So some of these I'm gonna have to pass on. Let me just think about this for a sec. Your albums or bands that have dropped or risen in your humble opinion. Well, we've talked about Slayer. I was a massive, massive Slayer fan, especially uh Rain and Blood somewhat, but more South of Heaven and Season in the Abyss. Those are my two favorite Slayers. Um Wasp is a funny band, you know, that, that a lot of people uh, are really looking at again and saying Blackie was some kind of a crazy genius. And that's a band I could see trying to get into more than I ever did. Um, boy, nothing, nothing much is coming to mind there. Uh, Andrew Meyer says, how about best band anthems, songs that have band names as song names? So some of these questions leaned into a little more like, uh, here's some episode ideas. And we've, we've had lots of those before. So Andrews is a bit like that. Um, and he mentioned uh, Bad Company and Angel Witch. Pretty cool. You know, it's it's a neat episode idea. These these bands that have songs named after the name of the band. And, and I, you know, come to mind, I think of Metal Church and Black Sabbath and Iron Maiden, same kind of thing. Let's see, Ed Mandera says albums with most top 10 hits. So again, that leans more into the idea of an of an episode. Um, and I, yeah, I, I could look at that one. That's kind of interesting. Um, so yeah, let's, uh, let's take a short break. We've done two uh, and we'll come back with some more music. Yeah, let's take a break. All right, back again here in History and Five Songs with Martin Popoff. This is episode 100, Answering Your Questions. Uh, let's take a listen to uh, an album that I could, you know, somewhat say is is my favorite or one of my favorite albums of all of the 90s. Uh, this is ZZ Top with My Mind Is Gone. All right. Well, you've heard me rave about this album a lot. Rhythmine came out seven, uh, September 17th, 1996. Uh, love it to death. Uh, Billy's guitar tone is crazy on here. It's a super heavy album. Um, you know, one thing that, that always is a little uh, disconcerting about this album is... Um, you know, it's Greg Morrow drumming on it, not uh, Frank Beard, which would be fine and we wouldn't have to talk about it. But um, this is one of my favorite drum performances on an album of all time as well. And it's one of my favorite drum productions of all time. If you want to hear Greg's genius, you know, Greg usually goes together with Joe Hardy, the engineer slash producer or engineer. He should get the produ production credit producer. Um, you know, this album, uh, the production credit goes to, to Billy, uh, and, uh, and Bill Ham. um, 
But uh, yeah, Bill Ham is no longer with us, and Joe Hardy just died in 2019, age 66. Uh, but Greg Morrow, if you want to hear more of his genius, he's obviously on the Billy Gibbons albums, but he's also a Kim Mitchell itch, maybe one or two other Kim Mitchells, I'm not sure. Um, but but uh, he's the guy on itch, pretty sure. Um, really, really cool session drummer, plays on a million, million things, but he is so... He is so part of this ZZ uh, sound. He's on other ones. I don't want to go into it because I'm not sure exactly how many songs on which albums or whatever. But um, yeah, unfortunately, he is the drummer on Rhythmine. Um, you know, I even asked Billy that directly once and he 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 told me as much. Um, but uh, but love this album to death. Uh, it's super heavy. It is one I go back to all the time. Uh, just the sonics on it are so good that it just sounds great coming off the iPod Classic, whether that's into earbuds or into the car stereo. Um, so there you go. That's one choice. Uh, you know, many choices I could have picked from the 90s, but I thought, hey, let, let's go with that. Uh, back to questions. Uh, let's see. Eric J. Peterson says, how do you balance listening to older albums, new albums by bands you already follow and discovering new artists albums? Also, how do you balance finding new artists who aren't being pushed by bigger labels? So this is something that I feel embarrassed to say, but I, I really actually don't listen to too many new artists. Um, but um, in my defense, I often say that uh, the artists I grew up with um, whether that's the seventies or eighties or sixties or, or, you know, picked up on the nineties or whatever. Um, I'm actually a big enthusiastic listener to their catalogs when they put out something new. And so that means there are hundreds and hundreds of albums or, or a hundred albums or 200 every year, uh, that are, uh, that are of interest from me. And plus the other thing I do, they should have a word for this, but you know, the idea of nostalgia, um, but nostalgia for something that you completely weren't there for f at the time. So, so it's pretty fun just going back and, and discovering for the first time, or, or it was sketchy to begin with catalogs from the seventies or the eighties that you never, so, so there's all of that, which is quote unquote, new music to you anyways, uh, that you could, that, that you could be listening to as well. So, so I've, I've just feel like, you know, a life is finite. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of a historian and I'm, I'm, I'm going to stay in that historian mode and I almost feel like going back and and painting in the painting in the squares that I missed all along the years. I, I have more desire to do that than hear even new artists. So so that's that's my answer there. Um, lots and lots of new music, but they seem to be by the older artists. Plus the old music that I missed at the time is more than enough for a lifetime of listening without having to go listen to new things. I've often said this as well. I, I don't, I don't, I can't relate to 20 year olds making music. So, so there's another reason why I don't really feel like I need to go listen to them. It's just weird. It's just weird listening and, and, you know, thinking that you're finding these wisdoms in 20 year olds when you're three times that kind of thing. Right. Um, so there you go. Um, Bruce Campbell writes, what is the heaviest song? I know it's ridiculous and subjective, but what would Martin pick? So that's that's an interesting, almost a show idea, um, because I've always uh, said that um, when black metal came out, you can only sing so weird and high and strange and and nonsensical to the point where it doesn't even sound heavy anymore. And I totally feel that about blast beats as well. You can only play so fast before fast 
clicks over into double time and it's not fast anymore and that's that whole thing i always call it heavy metal polka and then you know you think of death metal vocals people you know disparage that by calling it cookie monster vocals right um so so you know what is a heavy vocal i mean is is uh dusty hill and fred turner where it sounds like it's a fat guy is that a heavy vocal is is uh phil anselmo as heavy as a vocal gets because after phil anselmo who who is pushing air and ratching out his voice it sounds that way right uh, after phil comes what comes a black vocal or a death metal vocal and and both of those are not as hard to do or or as heavy or as violent as a phil vocal so i pick pantera for a reason because i also feel i've often said that you can't get any heavier than Pantera in a way. And and it's a weird argument. I mean, it makes you sound like dad rock, like an old man or whatever, right? But the point is, is that um, when, when if you add more stuff and add more speed and add more layers and add more distortion, like recording badly on purpose, that's another thing that people think is heavier than Pantera, right? Venom you know, uh, or, or um, you know, your most egregious, deathy, black, lo-fi stuff. It, why is lo-fi heavier than Pantera, right? Um, so, so there's all these, there's all these little things that, that you could say that, that you can have a debate about, are they heavier than, um, than as heavy as heavy gets? Like when you step beyond, um, some people will say those steps beyond are heavier and other people will say that no, this is this is the this is the threshold of heavy. After that, it's ridiculous. And I and I think and I think the perfect example of that is the blast beat. Like I say, the blast beat is almost a metaphor for all these things, uh, production, vocals, whatever. Because you know you can have a super fast beat, and you could say, wow, that's heavy. Listen how speedy that is. But soon as the beat of the song is tick 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 tick. What is fast about that anymore? It's it's a metronome. It's it's tapping a pen on a table. Um, so there you go. So there's my idea uh, there. That like I say, that that could actually be a whole episode. But a very uh, interesting question there, Bruce. Um, George Antoniades Antoniades uh, says your top ten albums of the decades and uh, or of twenty. Oh, he says of twenty ten to twenty twenty. So that's that's interesting. We could we could go through that, but I I I, I haven't thought of it uh, here. Um, let's see. Uh, that could be an episode, George. Uh, Craig Morehouse says top ten albums that are not even remotely metal. We've kind of talked about that. Top ten albums that you can remember the moment you heard it for the first time. Hmm. Interesting. Um, well, I often tell the story of. Savage, Loose, and Lethal. I often tell the story of Ride the Lightning, uh, Sabotage Sirens, uh, Judas Priest, uh, that's right, um, Judas Priest, Sad Wings, I remember hearing for the first time, uh, Merciful Fate, Melissa, I remember hearing for the first time and having those impressions. I remember hearing Kill Em All for the first time, Van Halen 1. You know, I can picture the stereo if I was at my place or a buddy's place or in my bedroom or, you know, the downstairs living room st stereo. Um, so that's, that's uh, yeah, kind of interesting. Um, uh, and, and the impressions that you had, like how did, how did it, how did it uh, uh, line up against everything else? Because we used to make all these lists all the time. So we had these going lists, uh, which were sort of understood between me and my buddies, like who are the top 
10 vocalists, guitarists, albums, bands, bands from Britain, bands from America or whatever. And then some of these that I just mentioned uh, completely discombobulated and toppled those lists uh, as we went on. Um, Let's see what else we got uh, here. Uh, so we're on to the we've played ZZ Top. Okay, let's play another song. Um, here we go. Uh, this is the Buzzcocks with Flat Pack Philosophy. Someone to love, someone to care. All right, so this came out March 7th, 2006. Uh, again, I threw it open to the math for some weird reason. This Buzzcocks album, I, I've always loved the Buzzcocks, but this album uh, just gripped me and I play it over and over and over again. It's beautifully recorded. There's a lot of variety, um, you know, Rest in peace, Pete Shelley. Um, but yeah, I, I just played this over and over. And I remember a fond memory is uh, when I went to visit uh, my buddy Michael Hannon in uh, in uh columbus ohio and steve and keith and and eric moore from the gods and hung out with all these guys went over to eric's house interviewed him sitting on his bed with him and his girlfriend there and did an interview um and there was a cool jam session and a party uh with uh, with american dog anyways i just remember on the on the drive down there i just played flat pack philosophy all the way down and all the way back it's very weird um so yeah threw that one open to the uh to the math and uh there's one of my favorite albums of the 2000s um craig morehouse asks what is your all-time favorite interview you have done and why <clears throat> um hmm i often mention guys like bill ward okay you know what favorite interview of all time is pretty hands down obvious um this would be when tim henderson and i uh got to go down to the king edward hotel in toronto and we got ushered in for in-person sit down with geezer and tony and then once we were done ushered down the hall sit down with Ozzy and Bill. And that was the reunion thing. Um, we got all our stuff signed and everybody was super nice to us. All four guys in the band. Everything went according to plan. And I remember Tim and I got in the <laughs> got in the elevator. We just looked at each other and, and we went, did that just happen? Uh, you know, it was, so there you go. I mean, I don't think it gets any better than that. Um, you know, so, some of them come close. We've, we've had, we've had beatings with, you know, three, four guys and priest all at the same time or, or whatnot. And, you know, Soundgarden, you know, so so then you start getting into the bands that we don't normally think we're going to meet that aren't as big as our heroes, like like a Soundgarden or whatever. I, I've had sit downs with Ozzy and Alice Cooper, and um, actually, no, Alice Cooper have always been phoners, but I've I I got to meet Alice Cooper at a, at a backstage little thing once, but uh, but no, that that would be the number one. Um, okay, what is the interview you have? This is Craig Morehouse again. What is the interview you wanted to get most and haven't either because you just won't do it, or they won't do it, or maybe they've died. So um. Yeah, died would be a long list, but I would say right now, um, Pete Townsend, Roger Waters, Jimmy Page, 
those would be my top. Brian May, um, those are the ones I always mention, and, and I would say that that list has not changed. Those four guys. Um, Steve Deluxe asks, how about something like five questions for five decades? I'd love to hear Martin explain his own musical experiences and opinions on each decade. Uh, might be too much for one show. I guess we've kind of done that as well. Uh, Adam Moore says, what was the point where you felt like you couldn't relate to new music and new bands? Was it grunge, new metal, or metalcore? Interesting question, Adam. Um, I've often said that um, because we had Brave Words and Bloody Knuckles going all that time, uh, you know, we were very tapped into a uh, new heavy music for years and years and years and years. And I would say it started slipping away from me about the year 2002, 2003, 2004. You know, I've often made the uh, analogy of, of, you know, you got a handful of sand and all of a sudden the, the, the grains start coming through the fingers. And, and it just felt like it got harder and harder to keep up because what happens is there are more and more bands and more and more subgenres, And you can tell even, even in the ranks of Brave Words, everybody had their specialty area. And, uh, and I just felt like at one point, uh, you know, I was trying to keep up with black metal and all the Swedish uh, melodic death metal. And I was interviewing all those bands. But after a while, it was like, okay, Chris, Chris Bruni, you're the black metal guy. Um, and, and, and it turned out kind of over time that, that um, we all went in, more into our, into our areas of specialization. But, but I remember early on that I, that I would try to, you know, go do those in in person interviews with uh with uh whoever emperor immortal uh you know abath and all all those guys you know i i, I remember you know mashuga backstage with mashuga at the tool show um so all those bands so so i was there in the beginning and that's that's almost like the audacity of youth when you think you can be part of but you know when the bands didn't have a lot of albums out and it wasn't too hard to know who they are but all of a sudden you know five or six or seven years go by and they put out three or four more albums and you're no longer the expert on them and you're getting old and and you're and you're starting to get that thing it's like um you you know you start to realize how much you don't know about something and and you don't have that audacity of youth anymore and you start feeling self-conscious about going in there and saying i don't know man i'm not an expert i'm, I'm not going to get on the bus with these guys because because i don't want to look like a fool kind of thing right um all right um, Danny Bednar asks, good or bad, what band has most consistently defied your expectations? What is the best metal autobiography you've read? Um, boy, I often talk about, uh, bands like Heart, Motorhead, King's X, Cheap Trick, um, Deep Purple, uh, constantly making good music. You know what? I'm going to go a little quicker on, on some of these because, uh, this has already been the longest episode ever, which kind of makes sense for an episode 100, right? Um, Metal autobiography, boy, never really thought about this. Um, Zach Wilde, pretty funny. Um, let's see, who else done a good... Sammy Hagers was really good. Keith Richards was really good as well. Um, all right, let's, let's play another song. Um, so for the 2010s, take a listen to this. This is Clutch with X-Ray Visions.
All right, again, throwing it open to the math, I could have put Earth Rocker in here, but Psychic Warfare, I play over and over and over again. Absolutely, I have no problem putting Clutch in as uh, as one of my favorite bands of the 2010s. I could have put Blast Tyrant in from the previous decade. I think 2004 that came out. Um, so, uh, you know, everybody's asked me to do a show on Clutch or whatever, and it's like, well, you know, here's here's a little Clutch for you anyways, because I, I do play these guys all the time effortlessly. It's, it's a go-to band. Um, all right. Uh, Frank Devlin asks, History in Five Songs seems primarily focused on heavy metal and hard rock. Will we see other genres on the podcast? You know, I, I do do that, and and I regularly put in other stuff, and there's a lot of straight classic rock and, and post-punk and, and punk, but I often wonder how, how much people want to hear those episodes. The numbers pan out that they all get listened to roughly about the same amount of time. The numbers are pretty good. I'm pretty happy with it. Um, so so yes, Frank, uh, that stuff will, will kind of always be in there um you know as i get bored with you know and and as i as i talk too much about the same thing over and over again right uh see frank asks again how about a podcast episode on the rise and fall of british punk using five songs by the damned um interesting idea i love the damned obviously to death i try not to do episodes that are on one band only um i really feel that's an an even bigger recipe for disaster uh and having you know uh less listeners uh involved in an episode and then my numbers go down if you don't care about that band um but that's an interesting idea Ian Wilson asks, are you a fan of doom or sludge metal? Uh, so there's an interesting example of what I just talked about. Uh, was was a semi-expert when all of this started for the first time, which would have been around 1995, uh, when all these bands started coming out of the uh the you know the the brickwork uh, where you had doom uh sludge wasn't a big thing yet it but it was you know in those days it was doom crossed with stoner rock so those were were your two kind of distinctions as all these bands started coming out on you know rise above and frank kosick kosick's label and you know century media was doing a bunch of stuff i can't remember the uh oh who's that other one there there were a bunch of labels doing this anyways um but as time goes on um there's just more and more and more bands which dilutes your enthusiasm but also again you get back to that idea of pretty soon you need you need you need specialists in these fields to to do it properly so so yes i'm i'm totally a fan um but you know just like hair metal same thing with doom for example um you know when you hear the first 30 doom albums you're absolutely loving the idea. Oh, wow, new genre. This is great. Oh, there hasn't been enough of this in the past. There's been Black Sabbath and Witchfinder General and Candlemass and Trouble, and that's that started it all. But, oh, great to hear all these new bands. But then the next 500 albums, it's like, I kind of heard that on the first 50 albums. So so your enthusiasm definitely goes down as, as stuff comes out. Don Shaldine, uh, would you write a book about a band you don't personally like a lot if there was an opportunity to make a substantial amount of money? That's come up quite a few times in the past, and I've always said no, um, because uh, it's just it's just not going to be that enjoyable for me to to go through that whole band's catalog again, especially if I've talked about them in the past and had them on record of saying I, I didn't like them or whatever, right? Uh, very much. And uh, and then and then you think all oh, the band's going to notice and say, hey, why are you doing this book on us? And blah, blah, blah. So, so um, you know, that that would be a, a, an, uh, a contributing factor, I suppose, as well. But nah, just uh, just not interested. Don't have enough years left. Got, got way too many ideas uh, left. Um, 
Steve Bellow, the next Black Sabbath. Well, that's more or less a, um, you know, that's a, that's an episode idea. And I'd say almost go back to my answer on Doom. I mean, all, all the Doom bands are your next Black Sabbath, right? Joe Becht, what is your take on David Bowie? Uh, I know you once said you did not like Ziggy, which is quite contrarian. Exclamation mark. My favorite album of his is Station to Station. What are your thoughts on that album? I love Station to Station. Love Bowie to death. Love tons and tons of things he's done. Um, and, uh, you know, stay tuned to this space. Um, possibly might be doing a little bit of a book on David Bowie. Um, but anyways... Um, my favorite is Scary Monsters. Uh, Marco and I have planned an episode on Bowie where I'm going to be doing my contrarian choice for favorite Bowie album, Scary Monsters. Uh, I was I love that whole period when Let's Dance started. I mean, obviously it goes downhill pretty fast, but I love The Next Day. I love Heathen. I love Hours. A lot of people don't like Hours, but I love the mellowness and the melodic and acousticness of it. I love his last album, Black Star. Um, Love the whole Berlin period. Uh, Hunky Dory is amazing. So, yeah, I'm a huge fan of Bowie. Uh, Bowie throughout. Uh, you know, the the only things I complain about sort of. I mean, I don't like Earthling, um, and you know, Tonight and Never Let Me Down. And and yeah, it's true. I'm not a big Ziggy guy. Um, uh, but whatever. I mean, I love so much Bowie enough to be considered a crazy Bowie maniac. Scary Monsters is another one of those albums I just play effortlessly in the car over and over again. Um. Augustin Garcia de Paredes asks, pull the curtain back a little and tell us how the magic happens. What does a typical day look like between podcast writing, Zoom meetings, interviews? Got to be awesome. Awesomest, hardest job ever. Uh, and we all appreciate your work. Well, thank you very much, Augustin. Um, uh, you know, it's, I'll tell you one thing uh, that's kind of uh, disconcerting and interesting. I have to get, uh, you know, the heavy lifting done in the morning. Um, I find I work best between about seven in the morning and noon at the very latest. And then uh, things go downhill fast. I have to do, uh, you know, uh, work that doesn't uh, require a lot of brain cells. Um, so that's kind of too bad. I, I feel like my work day is, uh, is kind of truncated. Uh, but so, yeah, I, I really try to do um, writing and stuff uh, as early as possible because I've almost psyched myself out of, uh, of saying I can't even do um, hard work uh, in the afternoon anymore, which, which kind of sucks. Right. Um, but no, you just, you know, you look at the deadlines and, uh, and you, and you start knocking stuff down. You start panicking at some point saying, I better, I better knuckle down and throw some hours at that. And, and all of a sudden you realize you're, you're allotting hours all over the place and you're planning a little more, but, uh, but yeah, you know, and I spend too much time thinking about Facebook, definitely not Twitter, or I don't even have a cell phone. So, so no Instagram or anything like that. So basically Facebook's the only thing I do properly there, but I look too much at that. I'm always watching the news as well. CNN's on in the background. Um, so I'm constantly, uh, you know, lots and lots of distractions. Um, and then, yeah, doing this, um, this has kind of turned into a weekend thing. Um, but, uh, but constantly thinking about contrarians and going on Pete's show quite a lot. Um, so there are definitely a lot of bits and pieces, but the last thing I'll say on this is, uh, is people think, you know, having 110 books out or whatever is, is a lot of books. Um, but you know, I remember seeing a documentary on a science fiction writer uh, a little while ago and he had about that many books out and he said, 
something that I thought makes perfect sense, so I stole it, uh, which is just the idea that uh, when it is your main job, when it's your full-time job, it's not it's not hard to write a lot of books. I mean, just a lot of people, it's not their full-time job, and that's why they don't have 110 books out. So, But when it is your full-time job, you'd, you'd be amazed, as long as you're a pretty fast writer too. That's always a, a caveat. Because I've got a lot of buddies... Um, I won't name names, but I've got buddies that uh, that write so slow that and they want to write books and they ask me about, oh, I've got to do a book and this, I've got to do a book and this. In the back of my mind, I'm saying, buddy, you're never going to do that book. You just write way too slow. Um, so that happens a lot, too. Um, there you go. Let's wrap it up there. So here, here's what also made this episode special. It's a heck of a lot longer than every other episode we've ever done. Uh, if you like this show and want to support future episodes, please go to Kofi rhymes with nofi dot com. Kofi dot com slash Martin Popoff. Hit that red support button. Buy me a coffee or a pint. Uh, and uh, and for this week, I would like to thank Blaze Barshaw, Andy and Black Sugar Transmission, Bruce Campbell. Very generous donation, Bruce. Please take a break. Uh, I've I've been begging you to take a break. Uh, you know that. Um, but no, I I really appreciate the support. Um, David Fisher, Jamie Laszlo. He was actually on our last night. We did a uh, Patreon exclusive uh, chat uh, where we all picked our favorite underrated band. Uh, so that's uh, the contrarians thing we do where we have a very lively uh, Patreon exclusive content. And this is our second uh, chat we had. We went over an hour. I uh, had a bunch of guys on. It was a lot of fun. Jamie was there. Jamie's a smart, smart music swami. Holy man, that, that guy should have his own... Uh, you know, uh, podcast, video show, whatever. I mean, it's uh, he's pretty entertaining. He really knows his stuff. Uh, Kevin Latham, Augustin Garcia de Paredes, and Brian Sager. So there you go. That's uh, that's this week's army. Um, you can go to martinpopoff.com for all your book needs. Of course, uh, it, it's kind of quiet now. Um, a lot of things aren't really selling. Um, you know, I, I have a feeling numbers of all this kind of stuff and leisure products in general are somewhat down as everybody kind of goes back to normal after after the virus. Um, and uh, and we're all kind of seeing that. And I, I'm noticing book sales are definitely down in the last, uh, I'd say, three weeks three weeks, four weeks kind of thing. But, uh, and I've got nothing really new. Um, but yeah, I've still got, I've still got flaming telepaths and doing, doing that print thing out of that, which is kind of cool. And, um, the angel, the sweet got the heap coming. There you go. Uh, so hope you enjoyed this episode. We'll be back to a regular one for, um, episode 101 and, uh, start taking ideas for, uh, a special episode for episode 200. What do you think? Uh, talk to you later. Find all of our shows, notes, social, and links at www.pantheonpodcast.com or wherever you listen to great podcasts. All songs can be found for purchase on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. Please purchase these great and important tracks. Find us on Facebook at The RNRAP. We are on Instagram at RNR Archaeology. Tweet us. At R and R Archaeology. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.